0: Welcome to lectionary call-in for Tuesday, August 29th of 2023 where laypersons and pastors gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the gospel lectionary for the coming Sunday. The Sunday text we're discussing is for September 3rd of 2023. Each Tuesday we call in from wherever we may be at 6:30 a.m. Eastern Time to participate. Our team's working to be faithful to Year A, and that puts us in the Gospel of Matthew. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here
1: are the folks joining us in today's discussion
2: Sarah Mickelson from Tampa,
1: Bill Hall from St. Petersburg, Florida,
0: and I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, I'll uh, start by uh, reading the scripture. And then we'll get into some questions. Uh, and just a heads up to the team, uh, I would love to have a volunteer once it's time to get to the first question, if I could. Sarah or Bill, just let me know. Uh, so I'm going to read from Matthew 16:21 through 28. That's the New Revised Standard Version that I'm going to use. From that time on, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. And then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, Let them deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the, man, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's the word of the Lord. Well, uh, we've got three questions uh, today, as usual, and I'm going to just outline each of them and then go into our conversation. In general, the first one is about the process of showing in verse 21. Jesus will show them. Uh, what does showing mean for Jesus, the disciples of the early church, and us in the 21st century? The second question is about divine and human, especially in verse 23. Is there any way to describe this dynamic to a colleague or ourselves in an accessible manner? And number three, what does it mean to deny themselves? Uh, let's get back to verse, uh, the, the first question. Uh, what is this process of showing mean for Jesus, the disciples in the early church, and that's from the 21st century. And why does it matter? It appears to be an ongoing, distressing, exhausting, confusing, and emotional discussion process all the way up to Jesus' arrest. And so instead of putting one of you on the spot, uh, I'll look for a volunteer. Who'd like to tackle this first, please?
1: Bill Hull. It's all yours, my friend. Um, as usual, Don, my process with this is to get the questions and do a kind of stream of consciousness and then go to other resources. So you're going to get a both and in a moment. We've we've noted this before repeatedly. It's interesting how uh, this is not the first time every three years we come up on this passage. And yet for me, each time something new triggers. Um, and you, you, in a sense, have um, targeted my, um, let me get this down where I can, it, my first response, this is a process. This is not the first time that Jesus has predicted his suffering and sacrifice and that of his followers real quickly uh, there's a th- among the references there's one in chapter eight, chapter Ten, and Chapter sixteen before this passage, and then following this passage in chapter seventeen twenty and twenty four so repeatedly Jesus in some way references the need that that there will be not just for him, although peter's comments are directed at jesus's suffering. Jesus makes it clear that the disciple is not above the master, and what happens to the master will happen to us. So you, you signaled where my mind went that it is an ongoing process. Uh, and I, it's encountered in a variety of forms and circumstances. For example, last week, Peter's famous affirmation of faith, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, leaving Jesus to say, Peter, this is the rock I will build my church on. In this passage, Peter demonstrates he really doesn't know what he's talking about, and now the rock has become a stumbling block, all in one person, all in a matter of a short narrative. And I say that kindly because the real issue is, and and you— uh, bring it to today. How how am I like Peter? Um, and Matthew Skinner in Working Preacher podcast emphasizes from that time on Jesus began to show. Again, Don emphasizing that there's a process. He began <laughs> to show, and I've already noted he actually had begun. Earlier, And I think we, like those early disciples, have only begun to hear, understand, and act on Jesus' teaching. And I was captivated by your phrase that it's an ongoing, distressing, exhausting confusion, (laughs) and emotional discussion. Um, It really is. And I'll close with, it's interesting to me that Eugene Peterson, in the message, his translation paraphrase, titles this section: "You are not in the driver's seat. <laughs> we are not in the driver's seat." Thank you for the question, and it is still ongoing, <laughs> distressing, etc. Don. Thank you, Bill.
0: Uh, I take that automobile analogy might be something Sarah Mickelson might pick up on. I'm not sure about that. Sarah, what do you say? <laughs> I
2: didn't actually pick up on this, but I will commend the Sermon of Guinea. um uh, One of the ministers at our church preached on the keys of the kingdom last week, and, and driver's analogy was a part of that story. It was really, I, I like the payoff on listening to that. Um, okay, so for me, we have the wisdom of Peter to come up with the right answer last week. So maybe the idea and, and the determination is correct and still holds it 's the methodology by which we get there so that 's where I thought the process of showing was really foundational to the, the way Jesus is building the kingdom they are they are immersed in a in a way of doing life that is retrib- has retribution associated to it has um, arbitration and just this real arbitrary kind of violence to it and and jesus is bringing them through a process that's not that and that's really uncomfortable um and i think that what you're hearing in peter's voice this week is lord i agree you're the messiah i just don't like your method i don't understand your method i'm not on deck yet with the method and, and so Peter's thinking is, let's not go that way because that's a bad decision to, um, to push the idea of forgiveness and love and grace when we could be you know, overthrowing the regime and coming up with a better answer by way of violence. So I think there's this interesting contra story that Jesus is presenting us with so in in the process of showing for me, it's the learning by doing. How do you learn what loving looks like unless you have been loved? What do you learn? How do you learn what forgiveness looks like until you've been forgiven? I mean, it's it's a great idea on paper, but until it's a reality, the value of the thing doesn't really emerge. So, um, I really liked David Lose's writing on his blog in the meantime. Jesus knows this. He knows that by introducing a different logic, one that runs by forgiveness, mercy, and love, rather than retribution, violence, and hate, that he's challenging the powers that be. Moreover, he knows that the wheel of force and violence will not tolerate his obstruction, but will run him over. Um, That's the quote from the the blog. Uh, It seems that we're invited... By living into this grace, it takes a huge amount of of imagination on our part to hear it, to bear witness to it, to receive it, to talk about it, not just professing but living into the choice of living with love and forgiveness as the underlying um, impulse for our daily activity rather than punitive or um, this quid pro quo process that they seem to have engineered at the time, where I will do this favor for you, but you will owe me a favor in the future, and I will call you on your um, your favor in the future when I need it. So, you know, it was very ex- existential in its process, the way the world worked at the time, and and you existed because somebody else's generosity fell on you whether you were connected to um, the legal system or people with money or you had favor. So I'm, I'm interested in, in understanding this better. That's what I got, done.
0: Yeah, I'm interested in understanding it better, too. And for a lot of these, since we do the lectionary on a three-year cycle, it gets, I'll say sometimes it gets better and better, and, and, and I can apply it, and this one gets further away. So... Part of the uh, part of the podcast is be, I, I try to be honest with each other, and this one's, getting, this one's getting tough. But here's how I was able to pull it together for myself. The first is last week, using some commentators, Jesus was asking the question, what do you see? What do you hear? Who do people say that I am? And it leads up to Peter making the declaration. is who you are. Of course, today, are a little different. Peter's getting it wrong but he makes that declaration. And one of my breakthroughs last week was the first time I understood that Jesus had been doing this all along. Jesus was asking and asking and asking. We're in another city. We're in another village. Who are people saying I am? Over and over and over. And apparently once we get into the divine and the mission of Christ, it continues. The showing will continue. The reason I struggle with it, and I'm going to just use a kind of classic commentator, just uh, and it. it I could be citing any commentator just about, William Barclay. Although the disciples had grasped the fact that Jesus was God's Messiah, they still had not grasped what that great fact meant. Well, we're on a Zoom looking at each other. Most of you listen to a podcast. I want to lean in and go, well, that that means they don't understand. Wait a minute. And so here comes the showing. J- Jesus has been asking up to this point, this inflection point in his ministry, and now the showing is going to begin. And the way I try to bring it to ground for myself is the process of being known may be related to the practical, the apprenticeship. My, I think of my experiences with grandparents, parents, teachers, where I knew to follow I knew it. I was told to follow. I complied with following the rules of safety, uh, learning by doing, but knowing that the master would show me, and I must follow every step of the way at the age of five, and the age of 10, the age of 12, the age of 15. and now it's a memory, it's a muscle memory. But I had to comply. And so what, what brings me in this showing part is, is this at some point so accessible, which it appears to be beyond the cross, the memory and the remembrance of Jesus, just like I remember those who taught me, I remember them. I, can, I actually know what it was like to stand by a grandfather. He had a certain smell. I can remember that. But I knew I complied and I must comply that so I can remember and have that muscle memory. That's the best I can do with it right now because there's so much mystery in it. Well, let's go on to the, to the next uh, question. Uh, and Sarah, this is coming to you. Now I know why Bill went first. So that you could deal with the divine and the human. <laughs> We've been dealing with stories and parables and counsel in year A regarding divine and human. We've been leading up to that uh, with Peter's declaration last week. And here we are again in verse 23. Is there any way to describe this dynamic to a colleague or ourselves in an accessible manner? Or do we just have to live with the mystical and the faith and the hope? And I'm intentionally asking that in the context of Jesus' showing. Sarah, what do you think?
2: I don't think we have to live with that, but what a gift to live with that. Let me say it that way. Sometimes, and I, I, I will say that I at the women's conference a couple of weeks ago at Montreal, I had the wonderful pleasure of sitting in a, a workshop called Portals to Awe and Wonder. And the gifts that those bring us provoked me into in, in thinking about this question. I was reflecting on that experience and, and then your additional question of how do we live into the mystical and the faith and the hope. And I will say with great joy we often discover the mystical exists just outside of our understanding or just at the edge of our our ability to understand it. So for me, this is a passing glimpse at a new way of seeing the creation in the world. Um, in her blog this week, Caroline Lewis talked about crossroads and crosses. It was really a lovely moment of... Before the cross became a symbol that we wear around our necks or that we put in front of our churches, it was a, an opportunity to pause and consider carefully both pathways. So you're at a crossroads or you're making a decision on how you're going to, to respond. And so she talked about it in such a lovely way, it, it made more sense to me in that it brought the idea of electing the following electing to participate in the kingdom of heaven here and now. And I will say that from this point on, Jesus moves toward Jerusalem. So this is a fulcrum moment in the mission, but also a fulcrum moment for the disciples because what happens from this point on is going to determine how the new church, the early church, the church living with the remembrance of Christ, how it will move forward. Um, I think this is a moment when our identity is called into question and we have to really seriously consider who we are and whose we are. And um, I think that we're forced to ponder those, those really hard understandings. It's not just an idea but a whole new way of seeing. It's responding and navigating to the world. It's, hard. it's a very hard question to hear when someone says, well, what if it doesn't get any better? What if this is all there is? And I think those are both questions that invite us to renew our understanding of how God works in this world in a very often mystical and and, um, magical way. Um, The invitation is to see the world as something other than retaliatory, retributive, and punitive. To see the world as hopeful and a promise fulfilled. And I think that's where I landed in the difference between the divine and human. The human understanding is the punitive. And in God's world, it's the gift.
1: Thank you.
0: Bill Hull, what do you think?
1: Again, Don, I'll begin with where my brain first went
2: <laughs>
1: as I read this question. You're picking up on the divine and human. <clears throat> and where I first went was to focus on one word in verse twenty three. We know Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan, you're stumbling a block for me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things in other words it's not bad to be human jesus is challenging and it's a strong verb in greek you're you're locking your your attention on the human uh, and of course jesus is both and divine and human and there's something of god within us <clears throat> so This is not anti-human. In the creation story, at the end of each day, God looked upon his creation, including finally creating human beings, and said, it is good. Um, It reminds me of the famous phrase in Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways says the Lord. It, it has to do with what most controls us. And I'll say something more about this in the third question, so I, I won't be repetitive. <clears throat> but it, it reminds me, and what I have focused on, Don, based on your question, is discernment. How do I discern God's will in contrast to my own preferences and prejudices? Because I believe all of us have prejudices. Some are more rank and obvious than others, and we can be very judgmental about that, I think, appropriately. But embedded in us (laughs) are inclinations and and preferences. You were talking, Don, about uh, obeying authority. I was raised the same way. And then lived into and participated in uh, the civil rights movement where civil disobedience occurred on occasions, a challenge to authority. Martin Luther King was clear to emphasize that when you do that, you must take the consequences of that. So uh, I'll, I'll end with, again, It stirs in my mind. How do I know the difference between what I prefer and what God wants? Thank you for the question. Thank you. Uh,
0: I'm wondering if the going back to the first question, the showing, showing the showing over time, and you know, it's frustrating. It's like, really, how how is that going to happen? And then we go all the way to the arrest of Jesus and. In my heart, it's like, well, what's good the show? What good is the showing? But of course, this is the timeless Jesus. And I believe what comes in the next chapter is transfiguration. Mm-hmm. I think that's so, you know, that's part of the showing, right? This is step one. Now the showing begins. We're going up on the mountain. So I want to put that there. And I'm wondering if we could take today's reading and put a bookend on each end of it. And the first one is. Jesus is asking and asking and asking, who, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And then in the middle, Jesus try, Peter tries to take hold of it, tries to take hold of Jesus, tries to take hold of the showing, and he's wrong. And then on the other end, we're going up to the mountain to look at the timeless Jesus. And I'm wondering if it's important to read those with Peter in the middle trying to grab Jesus tried to grab the mystical, and it's not really possible. Sarah and I had a – I won't name him today, but Sarah and I have a mutual friend who's not with us anymore, who used to say, related to this passage, and I'm paraphrasing, the Westminster Confession attempts to define God. Mm-hmm. That's why I stood down from the pathway of ordination. As in, and I'm, now I'm reading into what he said, which is this appears to be a pathway that I'm challenged to and that we're all encouraged to define God. I'm not going to take hold of Jesus. I'm going to follow. Therefore, I'm not going to adopt that as something that I'm going to preach about. And here it is popping off the page to me. By the way, as a memory of someone that's not there anymore, And those words are energized today like they never were before. You want to tell me that's not mystical? Is it some practical and mystical in that showing? He showed me that. He was kind of, I'll just say in the class that he taught, he was my master, and I chose to write that down. That's all that was required at that time. But here's that voice again. So there was a rejection of the practical for the mystical, and and that, that really comes home for me now. So that idea of what is memory of the apprentice is working for me still, the showing, the showing, the showing. That's not how you use a hammer, Tom. Put that drill down. I will teach you about electricity at another time, and that muscle memory and that memory comes in where I can do it. Is there a mysticism in that that resonates with me today? In some ways, it feels mystical, doesn't it? He's long gone. Matter of fact, the person I'm thinking about was born in the 19th century. But it's a practical application of mystical. The things that I was taught work. I think there's a little analogy there for what the Christ is talking about. Uh, And now here comes – I'm setting the stage for next week. Here comes transfiguration. Take Peter's – like my my folks would take my little head and go, Donnie, don't look here, look there – Jesus takes their head and says, let's look into the eternal now. I actually will show you that you, there is a timelessness to what we're doing right now. Well, let's, going on, let's go on to the final question uh, for, the, for the, the discussion. And, uh, Bill, let's let's come back to you on this one. Uh, what does it mean to, quote, deny themselves, unquote, mistranslation? What, what's the context? Uh, what list of denials can the time- team actually bring this to ground? Is it possible to talk about denying
1: oneself or denying oneself? Bill? Again, uh, I will begin with what first struck me. It occurred to me, wait a minute, Jesus, you're asking this of others, how does it apply to you? So I asked myself, first of all, What did Jesus deny himself? What did Jesus lose? Now, this is not offered as a complete list, but here's where my sort of stream of consciousness went. Material items. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Relationships. At one point, his mother and Brothers and sisters were demanding to see him and try to protect him. And that famous question, who are my mother and my brothers and sisters, those who do the will of God? Now, on the cross, we know he said, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Um, I think he gave up status. He washed the disciples' feet. He uh, served. He violated violated uh, the customs of his time. He was a friend of tax collectors, prostitutes, healed lepers. He denied himself hatred and revenge on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, and, and I'm sure others can come up with a list, but it was helpful to me, Don, to first remind myself, the one who's asking me to deny and lose himself denied and, and lost. And then I think of Peter. Here's my take on this conversation with Peter and this strong language is calling Satan. Um, he was asking Peter to give up his Peter's expectations and demands of how Jesus would live and serve. In effect, saying, Peter, you're locked into the human reaction, which is understandable to say to your leader, wait a minute, don't do things that are going to cause you to be hurt and even eventually killed. So he's asking Peter to let go of that. And then for us today, um, again, as I said in the previous question, discernment. I'm quite confident, though I don't know the answer, that there are ways, like Peter, I am focused on my expectations rather than those of Jesus. And I want to read a couple of sentences from a commentary in the Connections, uh, Year A, uh, Section 3, from... Raquel St. Claire Letson. She's a professor of New Testament at um, Eden Theological Seminary, St. Louis, Missouri quote, whereas Peter reacts to Jesus's prediction as if the prediction were scandalous. Jesus's response to Peter shows Peter's words to be the real scandal. As followers of Jesus, We also must ask ourselves, how scandalous have we become? become? Have we or how have we become caught up in the world's way of thinking to the point that we will not oppose current religious and political leaders for the cause of Christ if it means possible rejection, suffering, and death? whether these consequences be physical and social. Again, it is very difficult. There's a risk of being judgmental and feeling superior to others. But I think there are ways in which even among us as people of faith, we need to challenge each other. Are we, like Peter, locked into the human? Are we open to God's? Way of seeing the world And I'll finish with this The current adult Faith formation class Is studying uh, Niebuhr's book Christ and Culture Led by Reverend Waringa. It has to do with How Do we relate as followers Of Christ to the culture in which We live and there's There's a lot to that but I would encourage you to attend or view the class um, online, because I think, Don, it goes to the heart of this passage, how much we, we are products of our culture. How much are we enslaved to today and how open are we to the kingdom of God, which has a different constitution?
0: Thanks, Bill. Yeah, products of our, our cultures, working with me, uh, I thank you for that, and especially going back to last week and Jesus' questions. Uh, I think there's recognition, but it's all through the, actually the excitement of the questions. Where are we now? What do they say? How do they live? What was dinner like? You did dine with them, didn't you? What did it taste like? What did it smell like? Who are they? How do they worship? What did they ask you? Who do they say I am? Who do they say I am? Now what do you say I am? That's Jesus. So I, I, I really, that works for me. It takes me back to, to last week. Uh, just a few quick notes. Uh, I, I'm, I'm reading and I'm thinking about denial in pieces. It's a common theme in commentaries, but something that jumped out to me that and this is my opinion. If I, if I looked at myself in terms of denial in pieces, I deny this, I deny that, I deny using my time in a certain way, I deny eating something, I deny that's not it at all, I don't think uh, anymore. If it's, if it's cut into pieces, little pieces of life that can be denied, and it can be healthy, I, but, but I, I'm not saying this to set things apart. Or, or you know there are people that fast i mean there's denial that are taking there but i don't think that's what this is this is this is following this is denying things so that following is absolutely possible can jesus be followed yes is it mystical yes but can jesus be followed yes it can be in the most practical form so instead of pieces of denial it's more like the grandfather is saying, I'm going to teach you how to do this, and it's going to take a few years. And here are the rules. It's glorious. You may see down the road, 50 years later, there's a practical aspect that you will pull this out of your pocket. You will pull this out of your know-how. You will pull this out of your muscle memory. Do not fear. I'm with you. I'm with you. You will remember. So full denial means following. And I'll just wrap up by saying, Uh, the mystical to the practical takes some work, but I think if we link last week uh, the questions of Jesus, this week the showing of Jesus, and next week the timelessness of Jesus, maybe it comes together so that first denial is a discipline with practical outcomes. It can be touched, can be felt, but it might take time or it might be immediate. But it's got practical outcomes. Denial requires following. Requires following. That is tied with it. And the denial provides us and requires an open mind, not a closed mind. Do not fear. Ask the world. Look at the world. Ask people. Engage. Go out. An open mind. That's exciting to me. Denial's built on. The questions: Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And then the follow-up for this year, for this, for this week: Who am I? Me. Who am I, Jesus? And therefore, who am I, the follower? And I think the answer is a follower. The follower is the way. And then the denial itself is not oppressive in any way. It's tied to hope. It's tied to arrivals. Lots of arrivals, tangible arrivals. Jesus is showing so that arrivals can take place during the ministry. And then, aha, especially on the road to Emmaus. Aha, there it is. That muscle memory is already in place. It's like a promise. Now, Sarah, how about you? What do you
2: think? Oh... Well, apparently this is something my brain works really well with, this denying thing. So staying with our crossroads moment idea, when we are considering what will give us life and what will not, letting go of retaliatory anger, letting go of self-centered demands, letting go of the me-first mentality or me-most because I get the biggest portion, or um, if you get a big portion, I don't get enough, kind of a thing. Um, I'm not even going to try because I am not you. I'm not even possibly you. So I'm not even going to make the effort to reach out. Um, I'm only human. There's no reason for me to think about being bigger or different or better. I'm just human, completely flawed. I might as well revel in it. And you could name this character Prodigal, if you'd like. Um, pursuing a life that only turns out to be leading to your death instead of working toward the life that God has crafted for you. It's real easy to get caught up in the, I need to accumulate I need X number of credit cards, I need this kind of credit card, I need this kind of bank account, I need this kind of wife, I need this kind of house, I need this kind of neighborhood, I need this kind of school district. It's simple. That's that's easy to, that's an escalator that's easy to get on. When, this is where I get to the really where the rubber meets the road in my life. When I try to hold to control rather than relinquishing it. When I would rather tell than listen. When I would rather be right than loving and compassionate. When I would rather fight fear than define why I am afraid. Those are all moments of denial. Moments of uh introspection as well as moments of of being able to explain it to someone else. I think those are really hard human moments that we're all that we all pass through at some point. And, and whether or not we are comfortable revealing that to each other is is the trickier bit. Um, and I also think that that's where the work of God takes hold and the work of Christ and the sacrifice take hold, or in those moments.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Well, with that, our conversation's coming to an end. We always like hearing from uh, our listeners. I've heard from a number this week, and they were remarking on uh, how much they enjoy us having guest pastors uh, <laughs> come through, and, uh, I, I, and they they like the other perspective. So I'm just going to set the stage for the next couple of podcasts. i going to have another guest minister. I know I speak for Sarah. We're the layperson. You know, I I call it. Uh, you know, we need we need a safety net. <laughs> we need people, seminarians, to help make sure that we get it right as we go. So we'll have another guest next week. Palmasia Presbyterian Church makes this program possible. They're at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to Palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We commend that site to you for great sermons, prayers. Reflections, discussions of the scripture, discussions of the lectionary, disagreements over scriptural interpretations, which is exciting, tough questions, outstanding music, opportunities to take communion. So check that out, and you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.